I'm Kendra Winchester here with Sachi Argerbright, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 71, where we're talking about books featuring chronic illness and mental health. You can find a complete transcript and a list of all the books mentioned today linked in our show notes. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I am so excited yet nervous for this theme. Uh, Oh, don't be nervous. (laughs) You should be excited. I think we're going to have some amazing discussion. I'm super, super excited. Just I learned so much by reading these books for this theme, but I'm also excited to learn more about what you thought and some of your reflection on your experience as well. Yeah, I I think their books had so much, you know, new information to me and a lot of the stuff I've been, you know, reading about over the course of years. And so, but first we have some news and, you know, I feel like everyone at this point, if you're new, welcome. I'm obsessed with book prizes. (laughs) I was so interested, fascinated, surprised by this year's Booker Prize long list. So the Man Booker is now just the Booker Prize. And so they had their Booker Dozen 13, which is 13 novels for the long list. And it's an interesting group. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I have to like now condition myself to say the Booker Booker Prize and long list. Um, But I'm happy with the change. But every time the list uh, comes out for these long lists, I feel like I always kind of just scan through and see like, okay, what have I read? What's on my TBR? (laughs) Like... Oh, you know, do I agree with some of these things? Kendra, I know we were talking a little bit before the podcast about um, My Sister the Serial Killer, which I have read, which is exciting. But yeah, just a, a different type of book on that list, which which is interesting. Yeah, I, I would never think of a thriller as a man booker book. Yeah. So, you know, you have this idea of what a... Uh, a Booker book is, right. right? I mean, this one book that is what it's called, Ducks Newberry Port, which is like <laughs> a thousand page book in eight sentences. You know, that's what I think about when I think about a Booker <laughs> oh book. You know, I don't... Re- <laughs> I haven't heard of that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think it's out in the US yet. And that's one of the biggest mm. complaints from on our side of the pond is like, well, we can only read like, you know, a handful of these books without going to something where like book depository. So I know some are coming out later in the year. So like Jeanette Winterson's Frankenstein is one of my most anticipated. Very excited about that. Uh, we have Val- Valeria Luiselli's Lost Children Archive. So there are some there. So I'll be interested to see what happens. I usually don't make like reading plans until the shortlist comes out to mm. see, you know, feelings. But right, I guess we'll find out. I hope that, you know, out of the eight women, I believe it's eight mm-hmm. women on this 13 novel long list i hope that a woman actually wins this year i know i i feel like it's obviously uh we're biased because we always <laughs> want women to win the prize but um i think that would be really really exciting what's do you know what the timing is do you know when they're supposed to come out with the shortlist uh, the shortlist comes out september 3rd and then the winner is announced on october 14th I'll be uh, anxiously awaiting (laughs) what the results will be. Well, the other uh, book prize is something totally different. So uh, the Rita's is the big romance awards. And there's been some discussion around the Rita's, and I'm not going to go in that. I would highly recommend 
that people go check out the links in our show notes. Um, I will link those that Agata has sent me. And she's like our romance correspondent, as it were. And she sent me this link about how the Ripped Bodice, which is, I believe it's America's only romance dedicated indie bookstore. Yeah, I think I've heard that as well. Yeah. And so you go in and they have romance of all kinds. Um, So they've started an award for excellence in romantic fiction. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. I, I feel like we talked, I think back in February for our my first uh, ep, like full episode on the Reading Women, just about trying to read more romance and that I never really got into romance beforehand because I feel like it wasn't as uh, diverse as I wanted it to be. I always just kind of felt like the cozy type romance that's very uh, like kind of predictable was something that wasn't appealing as much to me but hearing more about romance from like Agata and just seeing more about it on my Instagram since I I didn't get a bookstagram until um, recently there's just more to it than that doesn't really get a lot of airtime on mainstream media they really just kind of push the romance genre as it's been known for many, many years. So I never really knew that there's this whole world of very interesting erotica out there and different types of genres within it. And there's some representation from women of color. And I feel like now I really want to get more into it. I think this would be a really great place to start. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that it's as amazing as um, Agatha has been telling me that, you know, she's just so thrilled. I'm happy for her. I'm happy for Romancelandia. So those are the two news items that we have. So this month on the podcast, we are talking about physical chronic illness, and that is defined as having an illness three or more months. And we'll be also talking about people with mental illness. And as we talk about these writers who have these different conditions, I think it's important to note that one of the biggest struggles, at least that I have experienced having a disabling chronic illness, is that when you experience something like this, when you're part of this type of marginalized community, you don't have a lot of vocabulary to describe what's happening to you. So one of the things that I would highly encourage listeners to do is go check out these writers who so eloquently describe their experience. And while we may uh, stumble over our words today and not use the most precise terminology, not being medical professionals, uh, we would, of course, highly recommend that you go check out these works and have more details there. So I feel like all of your questions would be answered there. This is such an important topic and such a personal topic for me, and I feel like we both learned so much uh, just researching for this particular episode. Yes, and I think too, um, at least for the books that we've picked today, there are in in just within the text, and I think also kind of in the back of the books, there are resources of other books that you can that these picks can kind of point you towards. So I think. Today's discussion will just be to kind of dip your toe in the water, but hopefully if uh, listeners are interested in learning more about these, they'll pick up these books and also take some of the recommendations that are within uh, these uh, books as well. So hopefully we can get people started and get people interested and excited about learning more about this because I feel like it, it isn't discussed nearly as much as it should be. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I guess it's time to jump into the books. Um, The first book that we're going to talk about today is We Are Never Meeting in Real Life, Essays by Samantha Irby. And she is my favorite humorist writer. Like, 
she is able to communicate so many things in this book. Now, Samantha Irby uh, identifies as a fat, black, queer woman and she, with the chronic illness, and she also is from a working class background. And so she has a lot of different facets of her identity that she features in this book. But one of the reasons I picked it today is because she talks about having an inflammatory bowel disease, which I also have, and she also has problems with her joints and wears braces sometimes, which is what I also do. So I highly like related to this book, but she tells it in such a funny way. It's sort of like the spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down. She's just so funny. In the audiobook, she reads it. Oh, okay, great. I love I love books like that. <laughs> yes. And it, and I'm like laughing just thinking about some of these essays. Um, and I don't think a lot of people would really think about what it's like to have a great boyfriend, but not being able to have kids or move around very easily and he wants kids, you know, and how that would affect your oh, life. Yeah. Or having inflammatory bowel disease and being stuck in traffic around Chicago. That's a bad situation. Yeah. Just the things that like you don't always think about if you're able-bodied. Like sitting in traffic can be a drag, but it could be even worse if you have irritable bowel disease. So I really appreciate the way that Samantha Irby balances the humor. Uh, One of the most difficult things for me having a disabling chronic illness is trying to explain my life to other people. And also it it can become very emotionally overwhelming for whoever you're telling, you know, hey, this is a thing that's part of my life. But Samantha Irby strikes a beautiful balance in that she uses humor to not make it as overwhelming. And you can learn about what her life is like by reading her essays, but also you will laugh so much. (laughs) (laughs) So have you, have you read Samantha Irby yet? I haven't. And honestly, I'm kind of embarrassed because you've raved about her so much (laughs) and I, it's been on my list for a while, but I haven't picked it up. Maybe this is the, the time for me to go ahead and pick it up after hearing so much about it uh, today. Oh my word. It's just so funny. So she has like this cat, um, Helen Keller. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Who is basically this demon in her life. And she just tells these anecdotes about her cat, which is why there's like a screaming kitten on the cover. Yeah. I died. But also if you are a pet lover, like bring your tissues a little bit. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I I will also say that this book isn't for everyone because she has a very distinct type of humor and she's very um, descriptive about her sex life, about like different things. You might say, I found it funny, but if you don't gel with it within the first two essays, that's fine. It might not be your humor, but I feel like for me, it's just hilarious. I love her dark humor. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I'll definitely have to try it out. After getting a little more context, it sounds like a riot. (laughs) When I go to my bookshelf and I'm like, I want a happy book, but a happy book with substance. This is exactly what like the doctor ordered. It has a lot of meaningful content and talks about these issues, but it's also very funny. And she has a great way of structuring the essays. They're not overwhelming. They're like sort of linear. So you get to see her relationship with her wife and how that goes. And yeah, it's just a great journey. And she also has an earlier collection that Vintage reissued called Meaty. Um, I also enjoyed that one as well, but this is probably my favorite. So yeah, so there's my uh, profession of undying love for Samantha Irby. And that essay collection is We Are Never Meeting in Real Life. 
Awesome. All right. Well, I'll start with the, my first pick of the day, and that is Goodbye Vitamin by Rachel Kong, and this is from Henry Holt. And even though uh, Rachel Kong is an able-bodied Asian woman, her grandmother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and Rachel had to act, believe, as a part-time caretaker for her grandmother. And those experiences of taking care of a family member are the basis for this book. So just a little bit more background about the author um, as we discuss each one of these titles. So for those of you who haven't heard about Goodbye Vitamin, it is a backlist title. So may or may not have seen or heard about it. The cover is gorgeous. It has a bunch of different colored lemons on them. I feel like it really sticks out on a shelf. But it's it's this short and very witty witty uh, epistolary style novel about a woman named Ruth who recently split with her fiance not on very good terms and as a result moves back in with her parents not only just to get away from everything that kind of reminds her of her fiance but to also take care of her father who is in the very early stages of Alzheimer's when she moves back in and so she runs into some familiar faces while she's back in her hometown she kind of uh, runs into that feeling that probably most of us get when we go back and visit our parents and you're in your hometown around the holidays and you're running into all these people from school that you may or may not want to see. <laughs> There's a little bit of that in the book, but she makes some new friends along the way, but also learns more about just herself and her family and this beautiful uh, debut novel. So I really loved this book. I've heard a lot of other people just rave about this, so I picked it up. It's something you can read just in a couple sittings because it is shorter and kind of written with the style of letters. I feel like it's it's a little quicker to get through those types of books. But I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, I love stories that are written in the forms of letters. So this one is unique because the, the at first the, the letters, you're not really sure what they're being used for or why Ruth is writing them, but it turns into this kind of diary of events while she's living with her parents. And some entries are very matter of fact, like this is what happened today. And other entries are more reminiscent of she sees something or hears something that reminds her of her past. And she's kind of living in her childhood home. And those are the pieces that I loved most, the very reflective pieces. And you start understanding the relationships and the background of the members of this this family and how the background really informs how they react to um, the father Howard you know falling into the later stages of, of Alzheimer's of his disease so Ruth has really dynamic relationships with her parents some moments are very tender some are very strained and you really grow attached to the characters and you really empathize um, with them when their lives start changing um, as Howard shifts more from the father figure to someone that they really need to take care of, of on a full-time basis and Howard usually kind of forgets why they're helping him with things that he's like why would you help me with this like I can do this by myself and they're like well no you can't so it opened my eyes to the challenges of being a caretaker for an adult and just the immense amount of hurdles alzheimer's creates for a family so that's a little bit more about goodbye vitamin i enjoyed it immensely and i highly recommend that yeah, and i think there definitely need to be more books about caregivers and the struggle of being a caregiver for a person you love but as they, you know, their body deteriorates or their mind deteriorates, they become someone you don't know, but you still love them and care for them. There's a lot of emotional 
just turmoil like that goes with that. Right. And there are some kind of twists and turns you find more about people's past within the family. And then, you know, the way that they can react to certain things has to change a little bit because they are sensitive to what Howard is going through and they can't confront him with certain things because he he can't remember. So that adds just another layer of if you're kind of a person that is very plot driven, I feel like this book satisfies both people who like plot driven novels and character driven novels either either way or or both because there is so much character development and so little pages but also there's a lot with the plot that kind of goes on in the year that this book covers so i think it has something to offer for everyone well that sounds great and i love the cover with the lemons I know. It's so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like for summer, like if you're looking for something that looks like a beautiful summer book that you like would take a great picture by the pool, like this is your book because the the colors are just so bright and beautiful. Well, I have that on my shelf, so I definitely need to bump it up a little bit. (laughs) Yes, I, I highly recommend it. So that's Goodbye Vitamin by Rachel Kong and that from Henry Holt. Uh, So Kendra, how about you tell us about our next pick? Yeah, so this is one of our discussion picks. And this is a book that I've had on my shelf for a while. And that just asked me about my uterus, A Quest to Make Doctors Believe in Women's Pain by Abby Norman. And this is out from Nation Books. Um, And this book is about, you know, Abby Norman's experience being a young woman with endometriosis. Uh, And so the book starts out where she's uh, at college and she starts having this very severe pain and she goes to the doctor and after a little while she figures out that she has endometriosis. The journey doesn't end there though. She has to leave college and tries to figure out her life. She has to become her own advocate and the book also covers not just the memoir portion of her life and her childhood but also covers the history of endometriosis and women's pain and how basically the entire medical community has struggled since the dawn of time to believe that women are in as much pain as we often are and how, you know, basically doctors still diagnose women with hysteria all the time and how that is a problem, which you would think we wouldn't need this book. But as someone who also has endometriosis and polycystic ovarian syndrome and has a lot of other health issues, I can say that basically that is a huge, huge problem. Yeah. And so having personally experienced this, I was putting off reading this book because sometimes they're just too close. Yeah, it could be triggering or traumatic a little bit to see it on the page. (laughs) Exactly. Or you might find it very emotionally difficult just to read the book. But I, I found the way that she wrote the book wasn't too overwhelming for me. And I really appreciated how she also, like, I learned so much about endometriosis because what was it? The thing where the belief that it's the lining of a uterus is actually from a study in like 1922 or something. Right, yeah. And how that was really outdated. Basically, our knowledge is really outdated and has only started to be updated fairly recently because of, you know, sexism and the patriarchy and the, how that affects the medical research field. That was very technically accurate, I'm sure, but, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think like <laughs> this book and our next pick as well, both books very much give a good balance or or are written in a way that's very balanced between giving their firsthand accounts of what it's like to live with these illnesses, but also of just being very fact-based and showing the research behind this in a way that's very easy to digest. I'm definitely not well-versed in kind of the medical language or 
any of the technical aspects of medicine, but in both books, I felt like I was easily able to grasp the kind of facts or uh, details related to this and can relate it back to this person's experience based off of the kind of memoir type portions of, of the story. Yeah. And I think that, you know, with some diseases, you have a huge frame of reference. So like having mm-hmm. a stroke or a heart attack or cancer, a lot, most people know someone who's had that and they have that frame right. of reference to you know, refer back to. But with endometriosis, I feel like a lot of women, even when they do have it, don't talk about it because it's our uterus. We're not supposed to talk about, you know, right. our ovaries, fallopian tubes, et cetera, so on and so forth. It's just, you know, my grandma just called it female problems. Oh, <laughs> there's that generational thing of not talking about things related to your uterus. But one of the things that Abby points out is that men can get it. Yes. <laughs> so, so it's not just for women and it's not just around your uterus. It can be on the backs of your eyeballs. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you can really see how sexism has played a huge role in the lack of research about this particular disease um, and what that actually looks like for young people, people of all ages who have this uh, disease. And I just learned so much, really. I know. I learned so much, too, but also she very much outlines, like, there's still so much unknown. So, like, while I've learned so much, there she very much still emphasizes, like, there's still a ton we don't know. And there's a lot of outliers and forever people kind of thought like, oh, you know, if you have this, then you may or may not be able to have children. So have children right away and like all these different things. And it's like, there's multiple counts of different kind of outliers that aren't researched at all, or no one cares to research why these are happening or wants to learn more about um, this disease. Just because it's medicine is such a male dominated uh, field. But yeah, to your point, they find that men can get this as well. And you'd think that would build a sense of urgency, but I guess not. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much depth to this book. I feel like it'll be a great discussion. Um, So that is Ask Me About My Uterus by Abby Norman. And that's out from Nation Books. And we'll be back to talk more about books featuring narratives related to chronic illness and mental health after a word from our sponsor. All right. So, uh, Sachi, you have our next pick. Yes. So my second pick and our second discussion book is The Collected Schizophrenias by Esme Weijun Wang. And this is from Grey Wolf Press. So this book is a collection of essays featuring Wang's firsthand accounts of being an individual who is diagnosed and living with schizoaffective disorder. And this book is just a very intimate and honest exploration of mental illness and is geared towards those who want to learn more about schizoaffective disorder. So uh, like I said before, it's this balance of, yes, her story and her accounts on it, but also she goes into a lot of kind of more technical research-based information about uh, the disease. So there's an entire portion that talks about the APA, the American Psychology Association, I believe it is, their definitions of the disease and how it can change in the different editions of diagnoses that they have and how there's a lot of gray area and it gets 
very technical. My sister who's getting her doctorate in counseling psychology, I sent her like pictures of this and she's like, oh yeah, this is, I could tell you about this. This is really interesting. It's like, okay, so someone who's literally studying this and getting their PhD understands this and this is something that's being included in the book. So um, I feel like it gives a good balance of being informative about the experience, but also about um, the disease as well. Um, So the book kind of starts with Wang's own uh, diagnosis kind of story. And then the book discusses all and a very wide range of topics uh, from common misconceptions about mental illness to how difficult it can be to receive an accurate um, diagnosis and just all the gray, how gray the current research and knowledge around mental illness really is. So I won't, I won't go into too many details on this one because it's a discussion pick, but I just learned so much about this book and Esme Weijun Wang is just such a talented writer and and this book has a great balance of just beautiful prose but again just informative research which for me not knowing too much about mental illness um, part of the reason why I really wanted to be um, on this month's theme talking about chronic illness and, and mental health was because I Uh, identified this as a blind spot for me that I wanted to learn more about it. And both of our discussion picks were extremely eye-opening. I learned so much. So if you're someone who's very curious and wants to learn more about it, but is kind of intimidated by maybe some of the medical uh, granularity for some of these very uh, wide open and gray areas, I think um, this book can at least get you started on understanding what this is, and then you can kind of branch out on different books that were recommended in this in this uh, book as well. So that's The Collected Schizophrenias by Esme Weijun Wang, and that's from Grey Wolf Press. So now it's time for our guest spot. If this is your first time listening, we like to ask bookish women from around the internet to recommend books on this month's theme. And so our guest this month is Joss. She has a a booktube channel at Squibbles Reads, and she's also a co-blogger. I will link her info down in our show notes so you can go find her. Uh, But without further ado, here's Joss's recommendations. Okay, so my name is Joss, and I have a booktube channel called Squibbles Reads. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Squibbles Reads. And I'm a co-blogger with the lovely CW at thequietpond.com. The first book that I've picked uh, with a mental health focus is called Eliza and Her Monsters by Francesca Zappia. It's a YA contemporary book, and the premise about this is we have a high school student named Eliza Merck, and she anonymously writes and illustrates this super famous webcomic called Monstrous Sea, and her screen name is Lady Constellation. So she meets this other boy at her high school named Wallace, and he's actually Monstrous Sea's biggest fan fiction writer. And they actually start to form some kind of friendship relationship, and they share a lot of secrets with each other. But unfortunately, the major plot point is when Eliza's secret that she is actually Lady Constellation, who is super famous on the internet, is accidentally shared with everyone. Everything just starts to crumble from there. I chose this book because Eliza, she experiences anxiety, and Wallace actually experiences selective mutism. So a large part of their stories is influenced by their mental health and their interactions online, 
both with each other and kind of as independent creators, Eliza with the webcomic and Wallace with the fan fiction. And in turn, all of these interactions influence their mental health. So it's kind of just one big cycle. And this is really important because as Lady Constellation, Eliza has carved out this huge safe space for herself online. And as we all know, um, a big part of mental health is finding a place where you can be your authentic self, especially in high school, um, where teens are just trying to find, you know, who they are, where they fit in, you know, what parts of this and that are actually part of their true and authentic selves. Um, Monstrosy was this safe place, this authentic space for Eliza. I also picked this book because it really stresses the importance of online friendships. I find that a lot of people, if they don't cultivate like relationships online, if they're not involved, like things with gaming or creating, there seems to be kind of a disconnect and maybe discounting of the connections that are made online. And because I am a booktuber, like I mentioned, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, all these things, all these friendships that I've made online, um, not only friendships, but also professional relationships. I find that when I explain that to some people, they're like, oh, you can actually do all that stuff online. And I'm like, oh yeah, these are people that I talk to every single day of my life. And it's really important to me. So I appreciated this book for that as well. Um, I guess the next thing that I can talk about is is why Eliza and Her Monsters is important to me. And that is kind of a good segue from what I was just talking about. So I am a creator online. I've been on BookTube since 2015. Um, I took a hiatus, of course, to have a baby, but um, I am still very much a part of the bookish online community. So I've been doing this for about four years now. Because we are on the Reading Women podcast, there is kind of this intersectional issue between mental health and being a young woman online. So unfortunately, I have been the target of some misogynistic and racist comments. Um, I am an Asian American woman, um, especially in this one website or app called Curious Cat, where people can anonymously write things to you. Fortunately, I don't have that app anymore because I've truly been called every awful, disgusting name in the book. And This is something that Eliza also experiences just because of her reach to millions and millions of people through her webcomic. Um, But on the flip side, you also get many, many wonderful, positive, uplifting friendships as well. Um, It's also special to me because through creating through the bookish community, I've also found a place of refuge online. But things like these awful comments can destroy that refuge so, so easily. So it eventually becomes somewhat of like a push and pull relationship because you want the safe parts of being online, but you don't want to widen the pool of awful people who harass you online. I feel like especially as a woman, a young woman online. And this plays a big part into mental health because, you know, you're seeking a place to kind of escape from you know, the anxiousness of daily life, the anxiety of daily life. So I would recommend Eliza and Her Monsters to any young women who are creators online, who are maybe looking for another person who experienced the same thoughts and feelings and maybe some terrible comments that they've received and also uplifting online friendships. I would actually also recommend this to people who are maybe in a different generation who are trying to understand online relationships and what creating online can mean to people. And again, that book is called Eliza and Her Monsters by Francesca Zappia. It's a YA contemporary book, and I would definitely highly recommend it. The second book that I have chosen 
is Dear Scarlet, The Story of My Postpartum Depression by Teresa Wong. It is a graphic memoir of Teresa Wong's own experience with postpartum depression, and it's in the form of a letter to her daughter Scarlet in graphic novel format. Um, She talks a lot about her feelings of guilt, um, what people like to call mommy guilt, um, where on one hand you feel guilty when you are away from your child because you feel like you should be tending to your child, and then on the other hand, when you're with your child and tending to your child, you feel guilty because um, you feel like you should should be doing something for yourself to cultivate yourself. Um, She also talks a lot about her feelings of loss, losing her before children life, and also feelings of inadequacy just as a new mom. So I picked this book because there are definitely nonfiction books out there that talk about postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, postpartum mental health, and they're all amazing. But I feel like this one is just so simple, yet so profound. It is a thin little graphic novel. It's maybe like 50 to 100 pages. The art style is all in black and white. They're very simple line drawings. It makes the mental health part of it very simple and easy to understand, especially for people who, you know, aren't parents, people who are considering becoming parents. It also talks about the postpartum period and traditions that are based on Eastern medicine or just Chinese traditions because Teresa Wong is a Chinese woman. She was actually born in Calgary, Alberta in Canada. And she was talking about how her own mom was, you know, telling her all of these different Chinese traditions that can affect postpartum recovery and mental health. The most, I guess, prominent one that I can remember is they advise you to stay inside for 30 days after your labor and delivery to not expose yourself and your baby to different germs and bacteria. If you literally stayed inside of your house for 30 days, I feel like I would feel very full of cabin fever, really restless, lack of connection, all of those things. So, you know, that's a part of tradition that someone might want to take or leave depending on what stage of healing they're in. And this book is really special to me because personally, I have an eight-month-old baby. And several months ago, I was actually diagnosed with postpartum depression myself by a therapist. And I want to talk about a few points that I think are important for a new parent, a new mother's mental health. Um, I want to talk about how friendships are really different, both with other moms and parents and with child-free friends. As you can imagine, having a whole new human to take care of takes all of your time. And, you know, depending on whether you have a kid, whether you've had experiences with kids, not a lot of people, you know, really understand that. And your sense of time, your sense of urgency, your sense of priority really, really changes after you have a kid. And not to say that, you know, you can't have parts of yourself or you can't have, you know, areas of your life where you're still able to be an entity outside of your child, which I think is really important. But friendships may change. There might be some grieving or bereavement process involved in that. Along with grieving friendships, a lot of people, like Teresa Wong talked about in her memoir, grieve their pre-children life. So there is kind of this great sense of freedom that I personally didn't know I had before having a child. You know, I don't have to schedule things around my child's naps. I don't have to schedule around my child's doctor's appointments. As well, as a woman, I think it's really important to talk about feeding your baby. Because before I had a baby, I didn't realize how incredibly difficult it would be to feed my baby. And, you know, not all kids are like this, but mine is. And Teresa Wong talks about how breastfeeding is kind of really 
hard to wrap your mind around unless you're actually trying it. It involves a lot physically and mentally with regards to your body. So the image of the body totally shifts. So I feel like society in general focuses so much on women's breasts as part of their body, but now they're kind of like a useful organ to be feeding your baby with. Breasts aren't organs, but (laughs) you know what I'm talking about. Um, Just the entire concept totally shifts. On top of that, Teresa Wong also talks about how, you know, there is all this talk about how breast milk is best for your baby. And, you know, ounce for ounce, yes, it may be. There are some antibodies and stuff involved with breast milk. But at the end of the day, it's important that the kid eats. It's important that mom's mental health is really a priority. I would recommend Dear Scarlet to, of course, any new mom or someone struggling with postpartum mental health issues in their postpartum period. I would actually also recommend it to anyone who, you know, may be pregnant, may be considering having children, or anyone who may be feeling disconnected from their friends who have just had children or have had children for a long time. I think it would really foster a environment of, of understanding for new moms. And I think that's really important because as they say, you know, it takes a village, but in order to build that village, there needs to be totally this, this common understanding of, of a new mom's needs. So that book, again, is called Dear Scarlet, The Story of My Postpartum Depression by Teresa Wong. It is a graphic memoir. And just to close out this part, I think it is really important that we continue to read about mental health and continue to talk about mental health just because, like I was saying, you know, it really takes a village. And talking about mental health is still really taboo. I hear people say all the time, you know, it's really hard to talk to my parents about my depression, my anxiety. It's really hard to explain why I canceled plans with anyone. But I think as we continue to have these conversations, continue to build this understanding, like in Eliza and her monsters, she had a safe space and we should just continue to create and talk about these safe spaces and read about them to increase our understanding. If you pick up either Eliza and her monsters or Dear Scarlet, I really hope you enjoy the books. And we want to thank Joss so much for her two picks. Um, They sound amazing, and hopefully um, they will be very informative to our listeners who are interested in learning about these topics and kind of round out our six picks for the day. All right. So uh, what are you currently reading right now, Sachi? So right now I'm reading Severance by Ling Ma, and that's from FSG. I think I was going to say, I know you loved it. So I literally just, I've only read the prologue in the first chapter, but I will be in New York City for work in a couple of weeks. And there is a event at the Asian American Writers Workshop and uh, they're discussing Severance and I think Ling Ma is going to be there. So yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I wanted to squeeze it in over the next like week and a half two weeks before that event so I can be you know well versed in what's going on obviously but also to probably hopefully meet her and get my book signed or something like that so that's why I'm reading that (laughs) (laughs) well I hope you love it and I don't I won't say anything because of spoilers but it's just so good I know I've heard some very very positive things so I'm I'm excited and I'm also you know being a millennial and it's about kind of like satire on millennials and current like corporate culture I also work in the corporate <laughs> world so I feel like it be it it will very much I think resonate with me and I'm excited to to read it but what about you what are you reading right now Kendra Well I am reading uh 
Birdie by Tracy Lindbergh, and uh, and she is a First Nations author from what is now Canada. And so this was a very big book uh, several years ago from what my Canadian friends tell me. And so we are going to be doing a theme that this would be perfect for. So I'm reading a lot of books. And actually, like, typically, I'm able to narrow it down for the themes fairly quickly. <laughs> right now, I have five. And I don't know. How oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know how to narrow them down. So we'll see. Um, I might just have to squeeze in a couple <laughs> incognito style. <laughs> I like further reading if you would like <laughs> to continue reading this theme so we'll be announcing that theme in our discussion episode but i'm pretty sure people can probably guess what it is at this point but yeah <laughs> uh, so that's our show if you haven't yet please leave us a review in your podcast app of choice and thanks to all of you who have already done that and many thanks to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible and also a special thanks to joss for coming on the show today definitely check out all of her information in our show notes and of course, if you want to subscribe to our newsletter or to learn about becoming one of our patrons, uh, you can visit us at readingwomenpodcast.com. Be sure to join us next time for our discussion about Ask Me About My Uterus by Abby Norman and The Collected Schizophrenias by Esme Weijun Wang. In the meantime, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find Kendra at Katie Winchester and me at Sachi Reads. Thanks for listening to Reading Women. Reading Women.